welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonia. We're back again this week covering the second to last book of The Chronicles of Narnia, The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis. For anyone who's new to our podcast, we are a podcast with the Nerd Party Network, and we're best friends, and we read and reread YA lit from our adolescence and share books with each other that one of us has read and the other hasn't. So we're currently on my turn to reread a series. I've read The Chronicles many, many times. And I think that book seven, book six might be my favorite in the series, so I really enjoyed this reading. And somehow we're almost done. We only have one more episode of The Chronicles of Narnia, which is crazy. Yeah, just this week and next week left, which means that at the end of this episode, we will announce what we're reading next so that you have time to read along with us if you want. It's exciting that we're ready for the next thing in the show. I'm really excited that I'll get to read something new next. Well, as the person who is currently new, I'm going to go ahead and give a quick summary of the plot for this book for us. So we have Eustace from the last book and a classmate named Jill who get brought by Aslan into his country and he sent them on a mission in Narnia. Caspian is now a dying old man and he is sailing off to speak to Aslan. So the kids and a marsh wiggle called Puddleglum go up north of Narnia to search for the long-lost prince Rillian? Rillian. Caspian's son. They have to fight through giants and go to the underworld and fight a green witch there to bring Rillian back to Narnia so that he can see his father one more time before Caspian passes away. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> and for my impression, I feel like this was probably... This probably took me the longest to read out of the books we've read so far because, to be honest, I found it kind of boring and I feel like (laughs) Charles is making a face I feel like I'm back to that indifference I was feeling before just because again it's the same thing I just feel like I have no connection to the characters like as I was reading I just really wasn't invested in the story because the characters that I've enjoyed reading about primarily the Pevensey children aren't in this one and to my understanding, like they're not coming back. So I'm kind of just like, what's the point of reading? <laughs> what's the point of reading this? Whereas like I understand for Charles and other people, it's more of like you like the world, the world of Narnia, and like that is enough for you. But I think for me, that's just not what I normally enjoy about reading. So to start out a book with Eustace, who yes, we did have in the last book, but like he was like a side character who grew, like I wasn't really invested in him anyway personally that's just my personal opinion and then we just have a random character thrown in as a new main character it just wasn't for me but that's my first impression i rolled my eyes so hard anyway i think this is one of my favorites because i love the way it builds out the world of narnia so what you just said and I always really like Eustace and Jill's dynamic, and I really like it in this book, and I like it in the next one, too. Also, I think Puddleglum is really funny. And for me, I remember my dad would always laugh at everything Puddleglum would say. So we would listen to this audiobook in the car, 
And my dad would always laugh at everything Puddleglum would say. So the nostalgia is super real for me when I read this book. But whatever. I can't I can't convince you to change your natural outlook. As we've discussed many times on the show, my outlook generally is to enjoy and Asia's outlook generally is to not enjoy. So that that is not true. I I don't think that's 100% true. I think that I just particularly don't like this. No. Cuz I don't think I haven't felt that way about everything. Like I haven't actually like not enjoyed. It's not something that I would have picked out, but I think it's the same idea in the sense of just like how for the books you've liked, like that we've read, like it's still like these are kids books. So I feel like it's hard for you to like really be like, this is my new favorite book when it like you're not the demographic for the book. So I feel like that's also why I'm like, I feel like if I would have read this as a kid, maybe I would have been more excited by the adventure and stuff. Whereas like, I mean, I'm just also not into fantasy books. So like this one, I was pretty sure I was not going to like it. Yes, but I still think it's a. I think it's a, we've discussed, like, when we read something new, I think I generally start with a more open mind, and you're like, I don't know this already, so I'm not going to like it. Or you start with a... I think it's more so, it's the genre of books that you tend, that you, that we've read of yours, that, like, you gravitated towards maybe as a child, were just things I was never interested in. Because, like, I read Harry Potter based off of your suggestion, and I did not feel that way. Like, you know what I mean? I just think it's the type of books that we've read on the show that have been what you've reread is just something that, like, I didn't pick it as a child, obviously, and I definitely wouldn't pick it as an adult because I'm not the demographic for it. Like, you know what I mean? I guess, but, I mean, maybe I feel like I use this example a lot, but, like, His Dark Materials, like, I thought you would totally go for that. Or that, like, but his dark materials is also like there's talking animals. Like I'm saying, like I'm never, I would never be into something like that. I've never been into books like that. So like that has nothing to do with. It's the same idea of like, it's not the same story, but it's the same genre of like fantastical, magical stuff. I've never really been into stuff like that. So I think that's where like it may seem like a common theme of, oh, Asia never likes anything, but you know, like because I'm trying to think of like the other books we read. Um, like, Nicholas Flamel, I didn't hate. The things I didn't enjoy about it was, like, the extra magical stuff where I was like, oh, I don't really like that. But I enjoyed the character. Like, also, I mean, when I get, like, <laughs> when I get passionate on hating characters, that is because I'm still enjoying the story, except for an Inkart. Inkart was awful. But that <laughs> technically wasn't, like, your pick because you hadn't read it before. But I feel like, like, for example, The City of Ember. Like, City of Ember. I enjoyed City of Ember. I loved that book because it was realistic. I guess for me, maybe I'm much more like vivacious in my opinions on everything, and maybe you're not, and so it kind of feels like more like dif- disinterest or indifference more often from you than it does from me. Maybe that's just because of how, like... You're saying I'm more indifferent to books? Or the way you talk about them sounds more indifferent than the way I do. Yeah, I mean, just, like, I feel like for the last series, for the Skin Dragger trilogy, I don't really think you loved it that much. Like, you liked the characters. Like, you liked certain aspects of the characters. But, like, that is not something you would have ever imagined yourself reading as a child. Obviously not 
and obviously not something that you would pick up now and we read it for the show but like you would probably never reread that which is like basically I'm saying the same thing of this is something I didn't wouldn't have imagined myself reading as a child I wouldn't read it now and I will probably never reread it I do want to watch the movies but I guess I think yeah then I think maybe it's more of a tone thing because I mean this maybe this is a listener question yeah how does the like, tone come across do you think how like the tone because it Maybe I'm also just like overestimating my to- overestimating my tone. Maybe I sounded way more critical of Skinjacker than I think I did. Um, I'm sorry, but you but like, literally coined the term. I just don't care. So I think for who's <laughs> truly indifferent, I took that from you. So okay, well, listeners, am I, who's more harsh? Me reading Skinjacker or Asia reading Narnia? I think they should. I don't think I've been that harsh on this series. If we look at Inkheart, that's another story. I feel like we were both harsh on it. Also, one of our friends who likes the show, I saw her and she was like, you guys, you validated me so much. I never liked the series. And, you know, your guys' episodes where you just ripped it. The Inkheart series. made me feel so good. Inkheart, yeah. She was like, I tried to like it. Everyone told me I should like it. And you guys didn't like it, and I felt so good because you guys agreed with me. I already said it. I think for me, that was the worst series. I mean, obviously, Divergent was terrible, but at least for me, like, I have a little bit of nostalgia with Divergent because I, like, remember when I read it for the first time. So I think because of that, Inkheart edges out a little bit as the worst series we've read so far for me personally. I think so, too. For me, too, because Divergent, I enjoyed the first book. I didn't even enjoy the first book of Inkheart. (laughs) I didn't enjoy any of that. Also, Inkheart was just so long. It just went on forever, whereas at least Divergent wasn't that long. It was like, you know, you got to bad parts, but then it was over. Like, But Inkheart just kept going and going and going. The books were so long. Anyway, focusing back on the books we're reading right now. Anyway, if you're not a longtime listener in this show, you're like, what have they been talking about? Anyway. Back to Narnia. So... Uh, we're part of the com- we're the comedy of the show. People listen to hear us banter. So, Jill and Eustace super quickly escape our world and show up on a super tall cliff, and accidentally she pushes him off, and then a lion comes and blows Eustace away. That's our first chapter. Like again, ready, set, action with these books. Which yeah, for me, I was just like, who is Jill? Like, what's going on? I'm already not happy because where are the Pevensies? Like, who are these people? Asia, did you know that the lion was Aslan? Yes. At this point, I knew it was... I mean, first of all, it wasn't just a lion sitting around. He literally blew Eustace away. So obviously a magical lion. But as Charles told me before, every lion apparently in this story that's of importance is going to be Aslan. (laughs) Just for future reference. No, it's more just like... In The Horse and His Boy, every lion was Aslan, and it was so obvious to me as a kid, but... Anyway. Well, that's a little ridiculous. I can't wait to do, like, the final, my final impression of the whole series, because I think I have a pretty well-set-out, like, idea of, like, what I would want to say. Well, maybe the next book is going to change how you feel. I mean, that's true. I am hoping for, like, some huge thing on the last book. I think the last book is really... The last book is dark. So maybe I'll like it more, because as we know, I like dark things. Yeah, the last book is, like, crazy. And it's sad. So, anyway. Aslan, he tells Jill 
one, not to show off anymore. And then he gives her four signs to go follow on their quest to recover the lost prince. So the lost prince of Narnia, Rillian. He's missing. Jill and Eustace have to find him. And the first sign is, as soon as the boy Eustace sets foot in Narnia, he'll meet an old and dear friend. He must greet that friend at once. If he does, you will both have great help. Number one. Number two, you must journey out of Narnia to the north until you come to the city of the ancient giants. Number two. Number three, you shall find writing on a stone in that ruined city. You must do what the writing tells you. That's three. And then four. You will know the lost prince if you find him by this, that he will be the first person you have met in your travels who will ask you to do something in my name, in the name of Aslan. So those are our directions. That's going to guide the book. And this is, like I said, King Caspian is dying, and he set sail to go east, so they have to go recover his lost son, because people think he's dead, but he's not. And they get there, and Eustace missed the first sign, because his friend Caspian is, like, super old, so he didn't talk to Caspian. Yes, I knew that this was Caspian right away, because in... Like, I, I think I mentioned previously in one of the episodes how at the beginning of every single one of these books, it has, like, all the character descriptions, which at the beginning it was, like, kind of confusing because it was, like, well, is this just the characters for this book or is it for the whole series? And it's for the whole series. And in the character descriptions, the one that's for Rillian, it says that he's Caspian's son. And, like, we obviously know at this point that they're looking for Rillian. And if we didn't know that, in the description of, like, Jill's character description, it says, like, She's, like, one of the people looking for Prince Caspian's long-lost son, Rillian. So I, like, knew that right off the bat. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. But I do have a different question for right now, which is, why does Eustace go by Scrub, his last name in this book? Also, because did we even learn his last name in the last book? I'm sure they said it, but, you know, I never pay attention to those little details. His name is Eustace Clarence Scrub. And it, literally the narrator's like, that's an unfortunate name. And that explains why he's a brat in the last book. But anyway, they say it's because that's what they call them at their school. And I think it's something you're not going to like. Cause, so their school is called Experiment House. And it sounds like a rather modern, new age school. As opposed to something more traditional, which might be more Judeo-Christian of an understanding of education. Like this school sounds very much like science-based and like talk to people about their feelings rather than like beating them which was and like more like sort of traditional educational system and it's like wow their school is so bad and i think it's a bit of a commentary on like post-industrial modern new age stuff but maybe i'm being too critical Well, that went completely over my head if that's what it was, because I did not catch that. But if that's what it is, yes, I do not like that, because, again, Christian propaganda. (laughs) Here are these children's stories, which is right there. How can I possibly enjoy this book? (laughs) Like, or this series? Like, how can I possibly enjoy this when it's that? Maybe I'm looking for that. Maybe I'm looking for the overt Christianity, but it, it, it could be there. Someone else, someone smarter than me could look for it. So they make it to Narnia and they meet up with a marsh wiggle who's basically like a frog-ish scarecrow kind of person called Puddleglum. 
and he's super dramatic and a wet blanket, as they call him, and he's super endearing. Yeah, Puddleglum, all I know is they said he had super long limbs, so I'm sure that would look interesting. And every time he would, like, fold himself up, they kept comparing him to a spider, which I didn't enjoy personally, but that was all I really thought of him. I want to see how they do this in a movie. Are they going to make another movie? Mike. Well, no. They were going to make the movie and then Netflix. Then nobody was interested. Um, (laughs) No, Netflix is supposed to be doing a show. Oh, you said this. You said this. A a season per book or something like that. But we don't know if that'll ever happen, you know. Anyway. And they're traveling with Puddle Glum. And on the way, they run into... The Lady of the Green Kirtle. It's basically a pretty lady in a green dress, and she's with a black knight. And to me, it feels so obvious that this woman is the woman who bewitched Rillian. So, to backtrack, Caspian married the daughter of the star that we met in the last book. And they had a son together, Rillian. Then one day, the mother is attacked by a green... snake and then like a week later cast a month later caspian sees a lady in a green dress and is bewitched and never comes back you mean Rillian? that's what i said i thought you said caspian oh well Rillian. if i said caspian so the green snake lady clearly killed Rillian's mom and captured Rillian. And to me, when they see this lady in a green dress in the north, it was so freaking obvious to me that that was the same person. Was it, wasn't that obvious? So I didn't necessarily make that connection because as I get bored with the reading, I'm definitely just not paying attention as well. But okay, I, You're no longer doing the job of the podcast co-host. Well, I know Charles is going to catch it and he'll just tell me. But I definitely could tell that she was suspicious, especially when she had this knight next to her who didn't speak. Like, I was hoping it was going to be, like, a ghost or something, or, like, she'd animated with her powers. The way Puddle Glum says it, when he's like, it might be an empty suit And I was like, yes, let's get something interesting, and of course that's not what it was. But, I mean, the story did get more interesting after that, but up until then, like, they were just walking around. Like, I don't even know what happened at this point. They're just strolling around, talking about who, who knows what, like, trying to find this mission, and Jill just keeps talking about how she can't remember the signs. She can remember the signs. She's really good about it until this moment. That's the whole point, is that they meet her, and she corrects them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but like, keep going. even as a child, I was like, I remember the first time I read this book, I was like, guys, she's clearly the bad guy. They said it's a green worm, and then it was a woman in a green dress. And they know this information. They know that the person who bewitched Rillian is a pretty woman in a green dress and you see that in the area that you're going and you're like you know what completely trustworthy i mean so the kids are stupid so they are kids i know but i was this i don't know i was suspicious of it as a child and as an adult i was like oh hell no y'all are so dumb and then, like, she tells him to go to Hafang, and as a kid, maybe I was like, oh, well, at least they should follow that direction. But as an adult, I was like, you shouldn't trust anything she says. And then it turns out to be a terrible, terrible idea. 
I mean, yeah, they definitely should have been more suspicious. And I think that part of that kind of plays into another reason why I'm not really liking the series. But I'll get into that after I say this, which is... This is obviously not good for them, particularly because it takes them off of their path and their mission. And like I was saying, like, at this point, Charles says, like, this is when Jill, like, just totally forgets about the signs and stops trying to remember them. And, like, to me, she's honestly just pitiful for not being able to do the one thing Aslan asked of her was to just literally remember the signs so they could, like, follow the steps. And this made me dislike her character, like, just because of this. like. She's already a brand new character. She's supposed to be having redeeming qualities and like she can't even do one simple task, like the main thing to like keep the plot going forward. And because she can't remember them, Aslan ends up sending Jill a scary dream. And once they're like in the town with the giants and it says to like look out the window and out the window it says under me. So that's the next sign like go under the ground which something I think I'm also like not really enjoying is a common um like plot path of the books is the main characters the kids whoever they do something stupid or they're not following instructions and then Aslan comes and saves them like every time like that is the story what do you mean as in she forgets the signs so they should just be totally, like, lost, like, have no idea what to do. But then Aslan comes and is like, here, I'll help you, which is just, like, a common thing. So it's like, I'm expecting this to happen at this point in the books. That- okay, but how else, when else did it happen in the series? In the last book. Actually, I just thought of, like, three examples, but yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, like, in the last book, when in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, like, just like when they go into the Dark Island and they pray to, Lucy prays to Aslan that he saves them. The book before that was Prince Caspian. I can't remember off the top of my head, and if you said if you have specific examples, but if, for anyone who's been listening to all these episodes, every time the kids or whoever, they get into something that's, like, really bad, there's never any consequences. Aslan saves them, which could be, like, he's supposed to be God, like, you pray to God, God helps you. But to me, where I guess while reading the books is her forgetting the signs, I know there's not going to be any consequence to that. So I'm not as invested in the story because, well, oh, well, it doesn't matter if she forgot the signs because Aslan is going to help her in some way for them to continue on the journey so that the plot can move forward. Like, does that make sense? I I totally get that. And I think that's actually a really valid point. So that's why I think, which like could be something that's just like, it is a kid's book, like child might not pick up on that like this very it's just very predictable and so for me I think for this book I wasn't invested in the characters but then also I'm like oh well like again of course Jill forgot the signs so now Aslan has to step in and help them like get to the right place I was just like well I could have definitely like I expected that to happen so it's just not that exciting yeah I mean, the op- most obvious one is literally in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when Edmund betrays them and Aslan sacrifices himself so that Edmund doesn't have to be sacrificed. Yeah. There's a lot of examples because that's literally what he does is he yeah. takes the fall for them. And, okay, that part, like you said, it is pretty bad that Jill forgets the signs. But what really bothers me is the next morning... <laughs> They look out the window, they see it, and they're like, oh my god, we messed up. They're like, we mouthed the third sign. And I'm like, are you, like, yes, stupid of you to forget. 
But I was like, you're being so ridiculous and melodramatic. Because I'm like, you couldn't have known when you were standing in the writing, because the writing is like a ditch in the side of the rock. And they couldn't have known that it was making letters when they were standing in it. And so they're like, we muffed the sign. I'm like, no, you didn't. You see the sign now. Go follow the direction. Like, now you know what to do. What would have been muffing it is if they saw the under me and they're like, well, that can't be the writing. I think they're just feeling guilty at that point for, like, messing everything up so far. Like, they haven't done basically a single thing right yet. (laughs) But they have. That's the problem is that they're feeling guilty and sanctimonious. And I'm like, you haven't messed anything up. You were supposed to go north. You went north. Okay, they messed up connecting with Caspian, but they're supposed to go north. They go north. They see the writing. Like, again, if they just ignored the writing and were like, you know what, we're going to stay in Giant Castle, that would be a problem. But I'm like, you see the writing now. Go follow the directions. Like, I, was, I always get mad at that because they're always like, we muffed the sign. I'm like, you didn't muff it yet. <laughs> you still can, but you didn't yet. <laughs> Maybe that's just me, but I'm I'm always like, stop whining. Just go do the directions. Again, they're kind of stupid little children, so. Okay. And then they find out the giants are going to eat them. So they run away, and conveniently they get chased into, an underne- into a hole that takes them underneath the city. So honestly, it worked out great for them. Like, they end up exactly where they needed to be. Yes, which is, again, we're like, predictable. <laughs> Or not necessarily predictable because I didn't know what was going to happen, but it's just like I am at no point ever worried for like the safety of the characters, if that makes sense. Like there's no, like I feel like no characters have faced any real like consequences, like the main characters. I wonder if you'll feel that way in the next book. Which, yes, maybe in the next book because it is the last battle. I'm assuming somebody's going to die or like things are going to happen. But so far in every single book, Everything always turns out okay, which I mean makes sense. It's a children's book, like preteen book, whatever. Like it makes sense that things turn out okay, but it is just like as an adult, you're like, well, I don't really have. I'm just not as invested because I just know nothing bad's gonna happen. Yeah. But once they go into the hole and they're like underneath the city, I was wondering because they kept like describing it as like the underworld or like the underland or whatever and is like this supposed to be a representation of hell no it's not hell like i think when they get to bism it could be a little more considered hell but it's not really like that like it's just it's more like a bunker honestly because they're just in space underneath and what, what did it the warden says he's like many come down to the sunlit lands and few which oh and many fall down and, like, no no people return. And they none, said that, like, a hundred times. few return to the sunlit lands. And it's, ugh, so dramatic. Like, what an icon. Like, he is a slogan. He sticks to it. But anyway, they're there. It's not really hell. But, like, I think Bism maybe could be considered more like hell. But even then, Bism isn't described as, like, a bad thing. So, they go to meet whoever rules this place because again they're just following the directions it's going to be the green lady but she's out and instead they meet um a knight the black knight in fact the mysterious knight they saw on the horse before who didn't speak and at this point this is when i was wondering or i was 
assuming that this mysterious knight must be Prince William because we're approaching the second half of the book. They're on to, like, the third step. This has to be him. Yeah. Uh, so do you want to explain, did we talk about the the knight, like, his curse yet? No, you can talk about that. No. So they meet the Black Knight, which, like I said, is the one they saw on the bridge with the Green Lady, and he says that he has a curse on him so that every night he has to be, like, tied down because he goes insane and, like, will hurt people if he's not bound. So he gets tied up, and night falls, and he's tied up, and as soon as, like, the moonlight shines or something, he starts saying, instead of, like, going into, like, a fit of rage, which is how he had described it before, is he ends up kind of almost becoming, like, really coherent and saying, like, no, I'm not crazy. The spell is actually during the day, and it's only at night that I am, like, free of the curse and actually myself for, like, this one-hour time period. So, basically, he tells us two exact opposite things within one hour. And we should also mention that he is tied up in a silver chair. And at this point, this is when I was like, it has to be brilliant because the book is literally called The Silver Chair. And he ends up convincing them, the kids and Glum, to release him in the name of Aslan, which, as we know, is the fourth sign or fourth step. So he is most definitely brilliant. I know. And again, even as a child, every time when he says that and they're like, he could be tricking us. It could be the witch who knows about the sign. I'm like, y'all. So dumb. Aslan says, and clearly Aslan controls the whole freaking thing. So thank God. I mean, I mean, I didn't even remember the signs, honestly. Like, when they were, like, they said, like, when when he says, like, the name of Aslan, I was, like, I didn't even make that connection because, again, I was, it had been, like, 500 years since I read the beginning of the book. So I didn't remember that, but it was clear that it was him. Like, why are you trusting this crazy witch lady who sent you to be eaten by giants and the people who said they're going to lock you up in the underground? Like, clearly, your best bet is trusting this person who could obviously be the person you're supposed to be looking for, especially after now he has something that's one of the signs. Well, they realize they cut him free. And then once he's cut free, the enchantment is lifted and he's like, ha ha, I am in fact really in. So it all worked out. Yeah. And so he like, he destroys a silver chair and then the witch ends up coming back and this scene was kind of, this was weird, because she, like, puts some stuff in the fire and, like, starts singing to them. Or no, she starts playing her little instrument to, like, hypnotize them, which I was like, why didn't they then, like, punch her in the face? Like, clearly she's trying to hypnotize them. Like, why were they so hesitant to, like, not be violent? I just didn't understand. Like, I uh, I really, that whole scene, I was like, she's clearly, like, trying to put an enchantment on you. Like, why are you even hesitating? Like, you could have just killed her right then and there, and then you wouldn't have had to deal with, like, fighting. Oh, honor. Because battles get ugly when women fight. But there was three men there who could have killed her. But she's a woman. You can't kill her. Oh, my God. Wait, which I have to say, because freaking Rillian says the most, the weirdest line. But first, (laughs) after that, whatever, Puddle Glum ends up like, no, like, Narnia is real, blah, blah, blah. Gets them to snap back into shape. And they end up killing her because she turns into her serpent-like being. 
And <laughs> Rillian says after he kills her, he's like, you know, thank God she turned into her, like, snake being because I just couldn't imagine, like, killing a woman. And I was like, a woman who's had you enchanted under a curse for ten years? You couldn't have killed her? Like, I'm sorry, I understand she's a woman, but, like, she was evil, like... But he's a ladies' man. He's a knight. He follows a chivalry. Anyway, so they kill her, and it was honestly pretty easy, as everything always is in these books. And then the whole underworld starts collapsing, and they have to make a run for it. <laughs> pretty easy. Like, everything is in these books. I mean, it's true. Like, I mean, I'm just saying, like, she turned in the snake. She's, like, wrapped around him, but somehow Ryan's, like, easily able to, like, grab onto her head and stab her. Where yeah. it's, again, why didn't he do that when she was a lady? Because of his honor? The hardest part was honestly like, resisting the enchantment. Like... Once she's a snake, it's easy. Which is why they didn't even they shouldn't have had to even deal with the enchantment if they would have just killed her right then and there. Also because before she comes in, Rillian says, like, Aslan, like, give me the strength to like trick her. So I thought he was gonna pretend like he was still in the enchantment and then he totally didn't. He just went right for the honest truth. And I was like, why did he even make that comment? Like, oh, I hope I can fool her. It was something like that. Like that kind no, he's of gonna fool the, sentiment. He's gonna fool the the people, the Earthmen, and he, and then she. After he killed her. No, 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 oh, no. Oh, because no. he, I guess he. Oh, before she comes he, in, because they think that she's. Because he coming. thinks it's the Earthmen. They're just gonna try and to get out, her. and then she shows up. And obviously, I, I, but I mean, even when he said it, I was like, "How is he gonna trick her when he's not tied up and he destroyed the silver chair?" So obviously, something happened. But I thought he was gonna like make something up, but he no, didn't. No. He just went for the honest truth. Well. They have to make the run for it. And this is the best Puddleglum line. So we really neglected poor Puddleglum because he's got all the funny lines. But I love this one. So they're trying to get out. But, like, they're not sure they're going to be able to break out. And he says, there's one good thing about being trapped on here. Saves on funeral expenses. Like, that's the quintessential Puddleglum character in one line. And you didn't even react. I mean, it was a good line, but I was ready for the book to be over. So yet again, I <laughs> it wasn't that it wasn't that big a deal to me. But that was a funny line. Also, because I feel like Puddleglum is like the babysitter because he's with these two idiot kids he's literally who is. like can't keep their story straight, and he's just tagging along. And he's like, I guess I'm just gonna die. Like, if we die, we die. Like, at least I lived a little bit. Like, I feel like that's his character. Like, and, and he, he does provide like a bit of comedic relief. I mean, that's literally his job. He's like, we should remember the signs. And they're like, no, let's go to the giant house. And he's like, maybe remember the signs. And they're like, we want a party. <laughs> I mean, literally, he's like the nanny. He is the nanny. And then, to make matters worse for these stupid kids, but specifically the men, or the boys, which is Rillian and Eustace, because I cannot believe them. Because they talk to one of the Earthmen, like, once they've, like, escaped, they killed the witch and they, like, escaped where they were. All of, like, the Earthmen, there's, like, thousands of them and they, like, think that they're gonna, like, try to kill them. But they're, like, let's capture one and, like, talk to it. And the Earthmen is explaining that they were all, like, afraid of the witch and they were also under an enchantment. And they don't want to fight them. Or they thought, obviously, that this Black Knight was still with her. So that's why they were afraid of him. But now they know the witch is dead. They're not. But then he's talking about how all these Earthmen want to go back down to Bism, which is, like, the next level down, basically. And 
there's like this big chasm that like opens up a big hole opens up I guess and they're like all jumping in and the guy is like you guys should come with us and Rillian and Eustace are like oh yeah we definitely have enough time for a side trip to Bism like let's go like even though they've completely forgotten the mission which first of all also at this point that the whole underground area is like flooding with water and they need to get out of the underground so that they can go back to the surface level to go back to Narnia to complete the mission of Rillian seeing Caspian before he dies. But no, they're like, yeah, let's just go on this side trip. And Jillian's just sitting there like, oh my God, there's no way we're going deeper into the earth. Like we're going to die and we're also going to fail our mission. So just another example of men just always being pitiful. Well, they also like, they don't know if they can be able to get up again. I'm like, you're going to jump down. Well, yeah, because and then after this, the after they're like, oh, we shouldn't go because, like, we need to do the, you know, reasonable, rational thing. All of the Earthmen jump in and then the whole hole just closes up. Which I'm like, so ha- is there, like, another way back up? Not that we know of. So, like, if they would have went, they might have never escaped. They would have been trapped down there. Yeah. No, it's always, that's always been stupid to me. I mean, I will say... I love the description of Bism, the way he's like, gemstones just grow and like things are alive down there. Like you can juice, like drink the juice of a diamond. I'm like, that's a great image. I really like that idea. But of course, I, that makes no sense to me. It's fantasy. (laughs) But again, (laughs) which I don't like, that's not real. It's made up. And also, I feel like they describe Bism as, like, being on fire. Like, there's lava everywhere. Like, how how are they even going to survive down well, there? What's the other thing? They can't survive down there. So it was stupid. It's like, they're going to jump to their death. They're just going to burn up on the way down. That's how I was, like, idiocy. Like, what what are they talking about? Yeah, it was pretty stupid. I know. Jill's like, I'm claustrophobic. Can we please go home? So, anyway. They... They don't go, thank goodness. And they cut through and they enter right into a Narnian snow dance and they head back to Care Paravel. Like, mission accomplished. Well done. Which, before they before they all get there, there's another, William has another funny line. <laughs> because in order to get through this hole in Narnia, they have Jill get on top of Puddleglum's shoulders and she ends up getting pulled in. And they're worried that, like, she got pulled in by an enemy. Like, they don't know where she went. And Rillian's like, we are failures. Like, we let the one lady who was with us get taken. And I was like, what? Like, that's what you're worried about? Like, and that's when Puddleglum is like, isn't that when he says the thing about the funerals or something? Or maybe that was earlier. But basically, he's like, I think you should be worried that you're going to die down there. Like, but he's worried that, like, our honor has been damaged because we let our lady go. Yeah. So that was funny. Yeah, it was. But I mean, honestly, out of the whole book, Brilliant was probably my favorite character because he did have some funny lines. Anyway, also, I mean, just the fact that they, like, they walk up to this hole and they're back in Narnia, again, how convenient. Like, what? Well, that wasn't convenient. That was because she was going to break, the queen was going to, the witch was going to break through and conquer Narnia. So that wasn't convenient. But how did they get from being... Like, logically, how did they get from being in the north to they went underground? I guess they traveled that far back down to be under Narmia? They traveled back. They traveled back south. I guess so. And then they also rode 
through the mines to like that didn't they also weren't traveling that long okay i'll accept that so then they get back to narnia and of course like of all the things in the story that's the most believable because at least we knew the witch's plan was to break through in narnia yes you're right i forgot about that but anyway so they come up and aslan like showed up on caspian's ship and like told him brilliant your son is like at home so you need to turn around so they get up there and caspian is literally like on a bed like literally on his deathbed dying and brilliant like runs up to him holds his hand i don't even think he says anything and then caspian dies like right there like that's it he got to see him and that was it he was like i'm out they spoke so that was really dramatic they got to speak but yes it is true that caspian dies right after seeing Rillian. But that moment, it always gives me goosebumps. Like, because you can feel them all realize. Like, they all get quiet slowly. They take off their hats. The flags get lowered. Like, I It gave you goosebumps, Charles? I got goosebumps this time reading it. You didn't? No, I didn't get goosebumps. First of all, yet again, predictable. We knew Cassie was going to die. They literally said at the beginning of the book, he's practically dead. He just needs to see his son again. Okay, dang, you're so hard to please. They literally said at the beginning, they're like, he's not going to make this journey back. It's a one-way trip. Like, he's dead. Like, that was literally what they said at the beginning of the book. So I knew he was going to die. Still. And it kind of made sense. He saw his son. That was all he wanted. He could go on now. He didn't have to fight anymore to stay alive. And, yeah, they lowered the flags and stuff and took off their hats because their king died. I just think it's a really beautiful moment. I get goosebumps. I didn't cry, but I guess... Maybe it would be, like, a beautiful moment, like, to see, but, like, to read. Also, I mean, at this point, I was like, is the book over yet? I'm so invested in them, in these characters. I'm like... Also, because... We meet Caspian when he's like a little baby and he's like, I want to find We meet him as a boy, we see him as a young adult, and then we don't see the rest of his life. So that's what I'm saying. Like, how can you really be that invested in a character that you only experience for such short periods of time? And in this book, he's basically just talked about. We don't actually interact with him as a character. He's just talked about as, we, we know who Caspian is because he was in the last two books. But the Caspian that we knew is from like 60 years ago. So like, he could be a totally different person. He could be a terrible person at this point. He could have turned into a bitter old man who, like, beat up dwarves because he lost his wife and son. <laughs> saying, like... Wow, you So that's that why I'm saying, of like, I don't understand how you could possibly invest in him as a character when, like, we don't even know who he is. I guess for me, I could just suspend my disbelief a little more than you. I think you just... You're just... You, like, fill in the... Bl- I, I, don't, I just don't know how you could be that invested in a character that, like... We really didn't, like, get that much of anyway. Well, whatever. So this is when the book truly goes off the rails. Because they, Jill and Eustace, Aslan shows up behind them and he's like, we're going now. They go to Aslan's country, which is that giant cliff. And Caspian's corpse is there. And then Aslan has Jill pierce his paw, drop some blood on Aslan, on Caspian, and Caspian grows young again. And then he jumps up, and he's alive. Okay, you just said it, and now it makes more sense to me, because I don't think I, I, don't think I missed the part where they were transported to Aslan's country, which is like heaven, obviously. 
I thought this happened in front of everyone. I was like, if you this read is what I was book, powering to finish the book and I wanted to be done. But, because I know, like, yeah, Aslan has used to, like, stab him, put the blood, and then young Prince Cassian jumps up, and I was like, well, obviously this is, like, so he can go to heaven or Aslan's country. But I was like, is this in front of everybody? Like, I, I missed the part where they, like, moved. So, that makes sense. They literally went back to the cliff. Because Aslan's country is heaven. Yes. Which we established in the last book. And I just want to say, Aslan then says that next time Jill and Eustace come, they'll be coming to his country for good. So that means they're going to die. But, like, that could be soon... Or far away in the future. We'll see. Anyway, and then, if you thought it was crazy, this is when it goes real crazy. Aslan has Caspian and Eustace with swords and Jill with a switch, which is just a a sharp part of a bush. Of course, she can't actually have a sword because, you know, women shouldn't actually fight. And they go freaking beat the bullies in our world with swords. They physically beat them with swords. Because the kids aren't Christians and they have to whip them into shape. How can you like these books? Literally telling you as the children, if they're not Christians, you have the right to beat them up. It's crazy. What did you think? I mean, at this point, it was probably one of the most surprising parts of the book, so it was great, but... I I thought it was sweet that, like, because Caspian said, like, he had always wanted to see their world, even though he didn't really get to see it. I guess he just got to beat up some kids. But good for him, I guess. But, again, at this point, I was just ready for the book to be over. But I did think that was interesting also because not only did the kids see, like, them attacking and then they get to see Aslan doesn't face them. He says he, like, turns on his back. So it's, like, the back of him, a back of this giant lion, like, with this opening up into this other world but one of the teachers or i think like the headmaster sees it too and she like calls the police so i thought that was really interesting because like really like exposing like himself like to the real world like in like a negative way you know i thought that was weird well yeah that was a little weird also, like, aren't you supposed to turn the other cheek? Like, what? what is Aslan <laughs> teaching these children? <laughs> anyway, final thoughts before we wrap up? Final thoughts? I would say, I mean, basically, like I said before, I just wasn't that invested in the story, mainly because of the characters and also just the predictability of the plot in the sense of there's, to me, there's not really been real consequences for the characters. Which could change in the last book because it will be the final book and it's called The Last Battle. So obviously, there's got to be some sort of significance to that. Maybe some characters will die. But also, is it going to be a whole new set of characters in this book? Or like, the other some of the other characters going to return? Um, so, Eustace and Jill will be there. They will have new Narnians to interact with. And that's all I'll say for now. 
So if they're going to be in it, then they're definitely going to die in the next book. Which, I mean, honestly, don't really care about that because I'm not invested <laughs> in them as characters. Like, I don't know. I feel like, well, first of all, Joe, we just met her in this book. So definitely not invested in her. Eustace, like, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but, like, I just didn't think he was that, like, interesting of a character. Like, I feel like if the Pevensey children came back, like, they've been in multiple books. And maybe it's also, like, my bias of, like, I've seen I've seen the first two movies, so, like, I am, like, imagining the actors. Like, I can, like, I'm able to, like, imagine them. Whereas, like, Eustace is just, like, I don't really feel the connection to him. He goes from being a brat to being, like, wise. And also, even, like, separate from that, I think I also like the Pevensey children because, like, their connection as siblings, like, they're they're together, like, even in the last book where it was just Lucy and Edmund, like, their camaraderie, like, them coming together, like, is also, like, really, I don't know, like, interesting, whereas, like, Eustace is, like, a single character on his own, and I just don't think he's that strong of a character on his own to, like, for me to personally be interested in, so I think that's, like, part of it, like... Well, I'm interested to see how you feel about the last book. I really don't like... Yeah, I really don't like the layout of, like, I don't like the layout of, like, the same world with, like, different characters being added in, like, it'd be one thing if there was at least, like, one or two main characters that, like, followed, which I guess at this point is Aslan, which we all know how I feel about him, like, I think, I mean, if you think about it, he's the only one who's been in every book, and he, to me, is, like, quite problematic, like, (laughs) so, yeah, I... I don't know. We'll see. I do know that I'm looking forward to next week because it means we'll be done with this series. I will say that. But I am curious to hear if the listeners feel the same way that I do. If you've if you've been reading along with us or if you've read the books before or if you're reading it for the first time, how you feel about it. Because I do feel like these books, I mean, as with lots of the books we've read, I feel like you only can really enjoy this if you've read it before. Like, you read it as a kid, so you have the nostalgia. Or you reading it as a kid for the first time. You're reading it for the kid for the first time. Or, like, you're a hardcore Christian. Like, I don't know how... I don't know... There's nothing in between. Like, I just don't I know think you would have. You could enjoy this. I think if you'd read this as a kid, though you don't love fantasy, but I think that you probably would have enjoyed it more if you'd read it as a kid. Because you wouldn't... You wouldn't... No, yeah, I did say that. I do think I would have... I would have enjoyed, like, more of the adventure and stuff, whereas now, like more of my, like, cynical adult brain is, like, this is super unrealistic. I mean, whereas I feel like as a kid, you could have more, like, the imagination part of it. Yes. But I don't know. Maybe I was a cynical child, too, because I was never in a fantasy. (laughs) I don't believe... I didn't believe in magic. Well, I only believed in, like, Disney magic and princesses, which is, you know, problematic in and of itself. That's a whole kettle of fish. (laughs) So maybe as a kid, I would have enjoyed this. But yes, I definitely think as an adult, and especially with my own beliefs on like organized religion and stuff, I really think that bias like makes it feel like I just can't enjoy it. Well, there you go. So next week we're gonna be reading book seven, the final book. Thank goodness. And quite obviously it's actually called The Last Battle, as I've mentioned. So if you're gonna read along, you'll read the whole book for next week. And since we're at the end of this episode, we can go ahead and announce what we'll be reading next for the show. And our next unit, we are going to be doing another block of sad, realistic fiction, single books. And these are all going to be books that I've read before and Charles hasn't. 
So basically, totally different from what we're reading now, like super fantasy stuff. Now we're going to be going into more realistic fiction and sad stuff because we love our sad themes. And for our first book, we're going to be reading another John Green book to start, which is, I think, one of his most famous books, if not his most famous book, which is going to be Looking for Alaska. So next week, we'll read The Last Battle. And then the week after that, we are going to read Looking for Alaska. I'm really excited to read Looking for Alaska. I really enjoyed The Fault in Our Stars. And so I'm really excited because Looking for Alaska is, I think, I think those two are probably his most famous books. So I'm really glad that I'm finally going to get to read it. Yeah, I think Looking for Alaska just has more like, I just remember when I was doing the research for Fault in Our Stars, I think it has more like awards and stuff. And Looking for Alaska came out first, I believe. Um, yeah, but I think Fault in Our Stars is more famous because of the movie. Yeah, but that's what I meant by his books. I think Looking for Alaska, like before the movies came out, it was like, it it's like his, like, that's the book he was known for. I mean, when we do the book, I'll make sure to do all the research to put it in the intro. But Looking for Alaska, I mean, The Fault in Our Stars was obviously sad, but Looking for Alaska is also going to be sad. I think, from what I remember. I read that book a really long time ago. Well, we'll see. As always, if you have predictions, theories, questions, or you want to tell us how you felt about the Narnia series, or you want to decide if HRI are more naturally critical, remember you can stay in touch with us on the Nerd Party website. Just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact and select throwback paperback. That'll send us an email. And that can also get in touch, and you can get in touch with the network at large on Twitter at Party or Instagram at The Nerd Party, or Facebook.com slash The Nerd Party. You know, we were going to read The Chronicles of Narnia, but because of a listener suggestion, we moved it up in order. We, were gonna, we weren't sure when we were going to read it. It was always on our list. But a listener reached out and said, you should read it, which is why it got moved up. So just saying, we really do check those emails. And if you want to reach me directly, I'm at seashells on Instagram. And I'm at asia.bonia on Instagram and TikTok. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yes, hit that subscribe. Have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.